0: perfect for a moment to unwind. And so when you wanna hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure
1: contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He is turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcasts.
0: Hi, this is Ruben the cheek I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, This is going to be a Chelsea Youth episode. One of our, our specials that we got going on, Nick and Dan are here, but cast them aside. Phil, Mr. At Chelsea Youth himself, welcome back to the pod, sir. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. We are so lucky that we pay you to say that. That is nice of you. Uh, Mm -hmm. This one, though, is going to be a bit of a mailbag episode. Nick, I don't know about you. It just kind of seems like Dan was like, you know what? I've been doing a lot of scripts this season. I'm done. It's the holiday season. You people tell me what you want to hear about. I'm crowdsourcing these.
2: Dan Dan just phoning it in per usual, you know? (laughs) Copy, paste, here we go. No, they're... I think there are a ton of incredibly valid questions that, you know, of course there's only one single source of truth on for, for all things, Chelsea uh, <laughs> academies and, and that's Phil. So it was, it was great to get a tremendous amount of questions for this episode. I mean, there, there was a lot that we left on the cutting room floor and Dan, uh, as he told Brandon before the episode has grouped these questions together as to make for a better, more optimal audio experience. so, Thank you, Dan, for all of your hard work on this one.
1: Well, it's, it's also to, you know, I mean, look, there's preparation that goes into all these episodes. And, you know, we, we only get a limited amount of time with, with Phil on a monthly basis here. So we want to maximize that time for you, the listener, to get the best benefit out of it. So we've got bunches of questions about some players, about the academy and how it works in in kind of structure. And so, you know, I think Phil, we're ready to kind of jump in and have some fun with this one today.
3: Yeah, it's uh... Seems to be the right time in the season to sort of open open the conversation up to see how things have been going. Players that have come into focus, questions about how the second half of the season is going to look, and
0: yeah, looking forward to this. Well, I think you know, one, we just start off again and say to everyone always who submit questions, just thank you in general. Apologize to those we can't get to, um, but uh, please continue to do that. But why not kick it off with just a huge, huge contentious rivalry? Like you know, just 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 divides the Chelsea community. It's from at care for your youth, Phil. I mean, absolute <laughs> rivals, opposite sides of the aisle, and he says no question. Just good luck, and I look forward to listening. What? I thought you two were rivals. You, you don't get any heat from that sort of statement, do you? <laughs>
3: no, he, he's a good guy, and uh, appreciate the, uh, the conversations we have uh, publicly and privately. And obviously he's listenership. So
0: let's see if we can lay down something good for them. Oh, myth debunked. All right. So now we're back to, to rolling Nick. I'm going to kick this one to you. Uh, Hey, you love an alliteration, but I think you also like the second player listed here.
2: Uh, so there, there is a one, two, three, four, five. This is a grouping of questions, Phil. and, And I think the name that, is kind of on everybody's not mind right now is, is Tino Levermento, but Lawrence V Levermento. um, And we're, we're looking kind of, you know, whether you just want to go deep into Levermento or you want to, you know, kind of look at this holistically, we just want to understand, you know, kind of what you think about this player who's just been on absolute fire uh, this season and, you know, getting looks from everybody. Uh, We have Matej, we have Gil, we have Rohan, we have Kova, uh, we have Carlos asking kind of, similar questions which is 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 tino ready to make the jump up uh you know different tino than tino andrew and tino Levermento, lots of tinos on, on the youth squad you know and what what is his future project as is he more of a winger is he more of a right back maybe give us a little scoop on tino Levermento. yeah i mean he's caught the eye repeatedly for the development squad this
3: season he's been an absolute terror up and down the right side of the pitch. He's got seven assists for the development squad, another couple for the under-18s when he's dropped down for the Youth Cup. So he's got the production that everybody's made to sit up and taking notice of. He doesn't shirk uh, the responsibility during a match, so he's caught, he, he's there front and centre. He he drives the team forward. He's obviously making a name for himself, and I'm not necessarily saying that he's he's ready to take that next step into the first team right now, but you, you can't hold that progress back. So... If 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 the stars align, if there's the right fixture opportunity, if there's the right uh, if there's injuries in the squad that maybe mean uh, an opportunity for him to come in and train and impress, we saw roughly a year ago that Tarek Lamptey was pressed into making a debut away to Arsenal, and that was a, a tricky situation to come into, but he handled it like a pro, and the twelve months since have been in, exceptional for him. So while he was a little bit older than than Liveramento is now. He, you, you can never say never. Uh, in terms of Lawrence versus Livermento, I don't really like to, to square them off against each other because they're two very different players. Henry's a couple of years older. Henry, as we know, is a lot more versatile as well. So, with Tino playing on the right, Henry might play on the left or as we saw this last week, he moved back into midfield for the first time. And, there's, there's a, a debate as to whether you want to nail down one position and focus on it or whether you want to be a jack-of-all-trades. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Someone like James Milner has carved out a very high-level career for a long, long time now, being able to to play in midfield or at fullback or further up when he was younger and do those all to a high level for very, very good teams. And if that's the sort of career that Henry's going to have, then uh, credit to him. But I think at this point, Henry might be looking at a January loan to to sort of further his progress. And I think that might be a bit too soon for, for Tino Livramento to go out just because of the, the age difference and the, the stages of their the careers that they're at.
2: So a, a quick question, because I think we all saw the reports yesterday that, that Reece James may or may not have an Wait, injury layoff. Was that your breaking
0: source from someone breaking. who maybe called him and talked to him? Frank Khalid's yep. tweet, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh.
2: <laughs> well, he had a picture with him, so that's how you know it's good. Um, so, uh, no, I mean, we we all saw Simon Johnson's article and, and the article oh, that follow, Phil, about uh, <laughs> about Reese James potentially having uh, it seems like a knee injury, which is not it's not what you want to see. It, so, I guess the the question is, you know, as we're talking about, you know, you can't halt progress, you can't you know keep Livermore down. Uh, you don't put Levermento in a corner. You know all these uh, fun sayings that that we could have here. Uh, is is this a potential thing that that Lampard could look at as just some emergency backup for Espiloqueta? Should Reese James see the you know the operating table, something like that, in a, in a worst 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 case scenario? Yeah,
3: potentially. Uh, like we said with Lampy, the. opportunities there if you're in the squad if you're training and you're impressing and we know with Lampard and with Morris and Edwards and the the whole first team staff the door is open to the academy especially now with roughly a three to four week break in fixtures for the development squad and the academy they can come into the first team bubble perhaps and not have to compromise their work on the other side because they're on Christmas break so you can perhaps get them involved and whether it's Livermento or whether it's Lawrence because Lawrence remember is registered in the Champions League squad uh, mm-hmm. livermento isn't so whether that's a, a marker of who's considered to be closer to the picture or not Henry's been training with the group more often uh, with, if you have Henry in the squad especially with the expanded nine nine man uh, nine man benches now you've got a player you can plug in in any position if there's a, a, a need during a match if you, with, with Livermento, you're sort of he has played on the left and you could probably use him anywhere but not to the same comfort level as someone like Henry Lawrence so, yes, Livermento could back up as to if Reese is sidelined for some time. I suspect that they would prefer to look at Rüdiger at right-back or Tomori at right-back just because of the, the seniority, the experience they have of playing at higher levels and the uncertainty that sort of absence brings if James is out for a while. But all all Livermento can do is to keep doing what he's doing and to keep impressing. And
0: if you get the opportunity, you take it. That's, I mean, that's what it's about. And I, that's so interesting. Obviously playing back up to Aspie. He's a nurturing father. You know, he'll bring someone along and, and just traveling, understanding uh, the schedule and the preparation of being a pro, being in meetings where you're talking tactics leading up to a match. Like, don't discount that. Sometimes you think, Oh, well, what's the point in taking the player just to take him? There's a lot that goes into it in, in the backside, which I, which I think so. Um, Dan, you got a follow up?
1: No, I think there's uh, another player, though, another youth player that has also caught caught some eyes, particularly just after finding the back of the net uh, with a high level of regularity uh, recently. And uh, I think Gabriel, in addition to others, asked the question and just kind of put it straightforward. Yeah. You know, is, is Jude Sunset Bell the next hot thing? Is that, that... That's it. That's the
3: question, Phil. I have to choose my words carefully because I'm frequently accused of hyping academy players too much. Occasionally. That's um, okay. Which which I think is generally unfair because I like to do it in a more considered way. But yes, Jude is a very fine prospect right now. He's been scoring for fun this season. He stepped up to the development squad this past week and scored on his full debut against Manchester United. It took him less than three minutes to do that. And he looks the part. He's... He played. It's not just the goal scoring. So he was playing against three England youth international defenders against Manchester United this past week, uh, who are all at least a year older, possibly two years older than him. Um, Ted Amengi has been involved with United's first team, and he, he he gave them a really really hard 66 minutes on the pitch. It wasn't just his goal. It was running the channels. It was being physical. It was playing the hold up game. And um, we mentioned it on the last podcast that he's. As well rounded a centre forward as Chelsea have had as a 16 year old since uh, Dominic Solanke and Tammy Abraham. So we can be excited about his, pro- uh, his progress this first half of the season. He's been, he scored uh, four goals twice. He did it against Leicester in the league. He scored uh, four more against Barnsley in the Youth Cup. Those aren't the highest level of competition he'll play against, but all you can do is to tick the boxes, see off the challenges, uh, and move up the levels. Um, we've got a uh, Questions as to whether he might play against Morecambe in the Youth Cup, in the FA Cup. Sorry, if you believe in serendipity, that's his seventeenth birthday. So, there's an opportunity there, (laughs) but at the same time, he's only played twice for the development squad so far. So, you already have three centre forwards in the senior squad that you want to keep happy in Giroud, Abraham, and Timo Werner. Yes, you might want Jude involved in the matchday squad. It would be lovely to see, and I'm sure he'd take that opportunity with both hands. I just wouldn't get too far ahead of yourselves and expecting that to happen this soon.
1: I, I think one interesting thing, Phil, and you know, we saw this. I saw this as a tweet from you, uh, I think, a couple of days ago. But you had the photo of the U16 Cup final roster, and it like had it had Jude on there, and uh, several other players who are kind of continuing to accelerate their growth. And it's just crazy to think about. Was it like eighteen months had passed since that that photo, since that roster came out, and how much now we're, we're talking about Jude, how we're talking about Tino, uh, and and just how much they've grown since then?
3: Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, you've, on either team that night, you had Jamal Musiala playing for Chelsea, and you had Yunus Musa playing for Arsenal, and so Musiala's outstanding for Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga, and Musa is one of the best young players in La Liga right now for Valencia. And we're, we're still talking about boys who are 17 years old and obviously Musa is now a, a full US international. So there's a, 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 an angle for you guys to be really interested in him as well. So it's, these, it's frightening just how good these players are at such a young age. And the more you see of it, the more you just learn not to write anything off. The six yeah, fine, Jude is only 16. He'll be 17 on the 10th of January. Um, why not? If, if he's called into training and if he's form, and if the opportunity is there, we th- th- these guys are proving that they can play at a very, very high level at young ages.
0: Well, speaking of people who can play at a really high level at a really high age, better <laughs> check making a rare appearance in the dev squad. Look, Phil, you and I are just going to have a conversation. Nick and Dan, if you guys needed to go grab a <laughs> coffee or something – Take your time. But again, <laughs> to goalkeepers, Ghana Zagina was also asking. So I'll let you know him jump into this is what's your take on check playing for the dev squad instead of Carlos Zeger or any of the other young goalkeepers, excluding Bergstrom, who I believe had played the day before. Um, so I will just tee that up to you and and follow up as needed. Yeah. Chelsea claimed that they had
3: several reasons for check playing, which is entirely to their remit. The easy counter-argument is that someone like Sammy Clemsani could have played in the under-18 game on the Saturday and you play Bergstrom on the Monday. If they don't want to take Ziga out of the first-team bubble, that's fine. The way I've taken it is that you're at a time in the season where the fixture list is as busy as it's going to be. You're at a time of year where the COVID rates are soaring in London and the Southeast. If you need to call upon Petr Cech to play, which is far from ideal, but if you need to call upon him, you don't want him to be cold and not having played in 18 months. So, you take the opportunity to use one of the two games before Christmas to get him back into the playing side of things. We know he's looked after himself. We know he trains frequently, but you can't replace match minutes. So, the rules allow you to do it. The opportunity was there. Get him a match. If you need to use him in the next month, then at least he's had some sort of, he's been able to shake the rust off a little bit. That's, that's the only way I've taken it.
0: I think that's where Matt Law was on this too, a little bit. And Matt had said he was asking Chelsea people to know clear answer. If Willie's out, if Mendy's out, who plays? Do you play Keppa? You play Czech. <laughs> and, I think, his... think Keppa would play,
3: but if it came down to Czech versus Kalajiga, I think you'd have a closer call depending on who the opposition were.
0: I, I think that's right. The second part, I think that the first part might be more of a question than it should be, at at least in theory, right, Nick? You would think that the most (laughs) expensive goalkeeper in world football isn't being pushed by someone who hasn't played in 18 months and is about 14 years his his elder.
2: Correct. Yeah, the ideal situation is (laughs) that your world's most expensive goalkeeper is playing like the world's most expensive goalkeeper should, so... It's which is not happening. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting one, Phil, because like, you know, we're we're kind of in this like weird tweener space with with check where he's still available. He's still good. He's not that old, you know, compared to some of the, the other goalkeepers that have kind of played well into their 40s. Like it's interesting to, to kind of understand what his his eventual role might be. He's younger than Willie, isn't he?
3: Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. I'm not going to judge him based off one performance having been retired, but he looked rusty against Tottenham and that's only to be expected. And there were some issues with playing out from the back with a bunch of teenagers who've grown up doing that. And we know Czech's capable of it, we know how good he can be and was with the ball at his feet, but there there were a few crossed wires and just relationships that hadn't been built and this is why you want to get him out on the pitch and I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another game in January that they want to use him for. If, especially if uh, the COVID rates in London and the southeast, where Chelsea operate and train, if they keep, if they stay as high as they are now, then the reason that you've registered to check and brought him out of retirement is for an emergency. You can't just have him there and not prepare for potential use
1: it was the uh, the joke that before the nfl season started and uh, went you know in a terrible direction with this but uh, bruce Arians joked about this whole idea of like the quarterback bubble right because it's a position that's so hard well, yeah. to
3: they, fill they, in they, um, yeah the buffalo bills have done that they've got jake from uh training yeah. separately away from the rest of the quarterbacks the eagles have got josh mccown on retainer um at the age of what forty two now he's not he doesn't come to the building, but he's in the quarterback meeting room. He's part of the game planning and if they were to need him, then they'd take him out of his bubble and bring him into the facility. so it's it's making sure that you're prepared for every possibility and I'm surprised that more Premier League clubs haven't really done this. I know not everybody has a former world class goalkeeper on their staff as a technical director, but hey.
1: I also like that we just exposed that Phil has a, a secret understanding of the NFL. Um, and, and we won't have to divulge more than that, but we do know the number of his fantasy teams and uh, it's more than one. Let's just say that.
0: <laughs> Phil's right, been Nick, outed now. Nick, progress us into um, some Academy graduates, not necessarily Academy players, but graduates that Phil has a very good sense of, of, of,
2: Their potential. Yeah, a couple of our favorite and, and, you know, I know we don't usually drift into first team politics here um, too much on on the Chelsea Youth episode. But while we have, uh, I think, (laughs) yeah, while you're here, you know, doing this thing, uh, two of our favorite kind of first teamers to talk about uh, on our show are are Billy Gilmore and Kazimori. Obviously, they're both at kind of an interesting place, more for Kaiyo because it, it seems destined that he'll go on loan now and try and figure out what his development cycle is going to look like to come back to Chelsea. But for Billy in particular, Phil, would you kind of stick or or send him out on loan heading into the second half of the season? It's It's a really hard question. Just want to get your perspective on it.
3: I would keep both of them. I would especially keep Billy. I think every time that you've put Billy Gilmore into the first team, he's shown the absolute quality to not just be a part of the team, but to to drive this team forward and to play in a progressive manner. Yep. And whatever you may think of Jorginho, and I'm really not going to get into a debate about Jorginho today, um, when Billy was fit at the belated end of last season, there was a very strong case to suggest that Lampard preferred him to Jorginho. He would bring him on as a substitute ahead of him. He got more starts ahead of him. And I think now that he's fit again, you're going to see him become a more regular part of the rotation. And that may not be at Jorginho's expense, but I think there's definitely a place for Billy in the squad. I think there should have been a place for Tomori. I think his absence since February has been one of the biggest question marks that none of us have been able to answer. And that Frank has been to an extent, unwilling to answer in the public domain, perhaps for fear of controversy. It looks like he's going on loan in January. Um, Ideally, if he's not going to start either the Boxing Day or the 28th games against Arsenal and Villa, he's already finalising that move, training with the squad so that he doesn't have to go through a a quarantine period of joining his new club through COVID um, issues or whatnot, so that he can hit the ground running in January and not waste two or three more weeks of a season he's not played in. Ideally, it'll be a Premier League club. We know that he can play at that level. We know he can play at a a high level, whether it's Germany, France, wherever. But it needs to inform what happens in the summer because Thiago Silva is 36, showing no real signs of slowing down, but you have to prepare for a future beyond him. We have uncertainty about Christensen. We have uncertainty about Rudiger. We have Mark Gerhey coming up on the outside, really impressively so Thick needs to go somewhere and use the next five months of this season to remind people why he was so good when he came into the team at Chelsea and also to basically answer the questions of well we don't know what's going wrong but if you're playing well
0: then what was the issue okay Silva, Zuma, Thick, Gurhi, I'm in sold noted I like it that would be an, a great set of centre-backs. Um, I hope... I kind of... West Ham seems like a good option again. If he, if he were to do that, I don't know if he'd get in because they're in good form, but I don't know. That's the other thing. that The Premier League, it's it's a really hard league to loan somebody to
3: midway through a season because a lot of the teams have already got a core of players established. Everton was the other one yeah. that were were touted for him back in the summer, but we've just lost to an Everton team that played for four centre-backs across the back in Holgate, Mina, Keane, and uh, forget, yeah, yeah, I've got, uh, the, the other one. But yeah, So that's harder competition. We're talking about, can he go and play for Leeds? I'd rather he doesn't play for Leeds because of the fact that I don't like Leeds. But if it means an opportunity of playing at a high level in the Premier League, then you can suck it up and deal with it for half a season. It's If you don't get into that team in January, suddenly you've only got 10 games left in the season. If you go yeah. into the Bundesliga, they play four fewer games anyway, and they have a later winter break. There aren't many games for somebody to come back to and play. And as much as we don't want him to go to the Championship, because he's already excelled there and proven himself with Derby, if it gets you twenty twenty five games, it's a question to have.
2: Bill, with the levels here, I love it. I don't know if he. I don't know if Leeds is a good option. Uh, Leeds McTominay. have dominate. Two, uh two goals in three minutes from Scott McTominay um, noted striker and just prolific goal scorer. So maybe they need to the try to retain my celebrations that leads to until full time.
0: All right. <laughs> uh, just to wrap up on Billy real quick. Uh, this is from Shane on discord. He says, if we could build a midfield around Billy Gilmore, assuming for the moment he has reached his fullest potential, what current players do you see best playing alongside him? And in what shape? And I think the question here is really kind of, what's Billy's best position? C an eight, is he a six, C is he a seven. Oh, never mind, that's a winger. <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you if you're between a six and an eight, you are a seven,
3: except you're not a seven. So I exactly. I, I, I was yeah. about to say the same thing. I think that he. When you're answering a question like that, you have to start with asking yourself, what does he do best? And we know that he's very adept at orchestrating from deep. He's a great progressor of the ball. He's got good technique. He punches his passes in. He's very aware. So whether that's done as a six in a 4-3-3 three, three with two eights ahead of him or whether that's part of a double pivot, it doesn't particularly matter because if you're in a double pivot, the other guy next to you shuffles forward and then suddenly that 4 two, 3 one becomes a 4-3-3. Three, three. You know what Billy does well? and then you have to ask what he doesn't do well. What are his flaws and therefore what sort of players do you need to surround him with? He's never going to be the most physical. He's not going to be that big. He makes up for that with some degree of combativeness, but you need somebody who can help him out physically and somebody who can make the most of what he delivers best. So if you're playing those progressive passes into the Midfield eight roles. You need somebody who can play on the half turn, somebody who can take it from him and then progress the ball through the third into the attack. So, right now, someone like Angola Kante clearly ticks those boxes, and Mason Mount and Mateo Kovacic tick them in a four three three. 3 3, less so in a 4 3 1. So, you play Gilmore, Kante, Mount, or Gilmore, Kante, Havertz. You can probably switch Gilmore and Kante around, but I like players like Gilmore to have more time on the ball deeper they see the pitch more they receive it from the defenders more frequently and you can have them see the pitch rather than Billy playing with his back to goal or playing on the half turn i think you want somebody like Kante or Kovacic who progress the ball as dribble as better
0: noted
2: okay now i see I'm, the wheels just, turning nick yeah i'm i'm process- like I think I've enjoyed my Billy Gilmore in, in a in a six role. Like I think just trying to think of like when when we were playing really well kind of pre-lockdown last year, and I think him in that deeper lying role made a ton of sense, especially you know, if Jorginho goes, you know, and is not gonna be uh around forever. Like he, he could be the future in that role relatively easy with like your Havertz and your Mason Mounts felt like, do you, do you think that there's a path of least resistance to the six? Yeah, for sure. I think
3: that you, we, we've, we've seen, they've tried Jorginho there. They've tried Kovacic there. We've tried Kante there and there's been various degrees of success with that, but it's it's about how you set up the team ahead of him as well because if you're playing with, mm-hmm. with two wide forwards or wingers or whatever you want and two eights then you've got a bunch of options and plus you've got James and Sherwell playing outside you as fullbacks you want to make it as easy on the player as you can to distribute the ball and the difference between Gilmore and Jorginho is the willingness to play forward uh, and to play forward quickly Jorginho is fine in a certain system where you want to have the ball for having the ball's sake to rest on the ball But we've seen that he's a bit too passive sometimes in knocking the ball to his centre-halves and taking it back and forth rather than Billy's willingness to get on the turn and play it forward. There might be some youthful naivety in there, but more often than not, we've seen it work to the team's advantage. And if you want to play Billy as an eight or an eight and a half further up the pitch, you reduce the space he can operate in, you increase the chances of him coming under pressure from behind. And as we know, he's not the biggest, so any sort of physical pressure is going to potentially lead to turning over the possession. If you want to play as an eight or a 10, you need to be a bit stronger and have that ability to play in really tight spaces and link with somebody else and all of those things make it hard especially for a young player to get on the ball and play with confidence
0: alright uh, really appreciate the in-depth on on Billy Goatmore there uh, but we're going to have to take a break uh, when we get back we're going to be talking about academy wingers no that's a big deal Equa center backs and, and, and much much more so uh, anyways thanks to sponsors for financially supporting the
2: show we'll be, be right back even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. That's a lot. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply offer valid through December 31st. All
0: right, listen up fellas 2020 sucked. It's almost a new year, which means new balls with our sponsor manscape manscape is the best when it comes to men's below the waist grooming offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels and helping 2 million men all over the world get rid of hair on their balls. Dan, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, I agree. 2020
1: sucked. And 2021 is right around the quarter. So, you know, if you want to get that new year freshness going on, you know, they've got the perfect package, you know, which is a collection of items like the lawnmower 3.0. You've got the, the weed whacker to take care of those annoying nose hairs and ears hair. And, you know, I mean, look, they also got other products that you could use too. They've got a ball toner, right? The crop reliever. They've got a ton of different things. And as we're recording this, Uh, we're getting laughed at and you know ultimately that's okay because you know what you have to find joy in this moment and one of the things that can bring you joy brandon can be a brand new package from manscaped
0: uh it's true look if you're gonna you know take care of yourself and and do some cleaning up you might as well do it with the right equipment uh, the Lawnmower 3.0, it's waterproof it's skinscape trimmer, reduces the nicks to your two best friends, right? Uh, it comes with a shed travel bag, keep all your goodies stored together. Um, well, a- a- and Brandon, the- and Brandon,
1: don't forget, you know, the ball is gonna drop at midnight. Make sure the ball well. looks good. Good, 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 good. With the lawnmower 3.0 and manscape, use our code London is blue for 20% off and free shipping on your first order. That is London is blue, the code. 20% off plus free
0: shipping. So when the balls drop, everything looks pretty. All right. Well, there you go. 20% off and free shipping with the code London is Blue at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use code London is Blue. Happy New Year to you and your balls. All
1: right, Phil. So another set of questions that we got was around the shortage of wingers in the academy. So is this overblown is this the reality are we not producing a ton of wingers you know we've got Callum in the squad you know you you see maybe that there have been plenty of defenders we've been talking about this episode but ultimately is this an area where the the academy does or doesn't develop a equal amount of these players
3: yeah I've when I saw this question was on the list to discuss today I I sort of had a, a deeper think about it because it's something that I get asked every now and then on Twitter and we could probably have a, a podcast just dedicated to this question because it's really really open-ended and you get into some depth about it and to me it starts with what the perception of a winger is and what do they look like right now so if you take the wide players at the top end of the Premier League you've got Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Marshall, Son at Tottenham and then at Chelsea you've got Hudson-Odoi, you've got Timo Werner and you've got Hakim Ziyech and i don't think any of those are what you would really class as an out and out winger in the traditional mould or certainly what people think of them. Uh, hudson adoy is the closest we've got at chelsea to a traditional winger. someone like jaden sancho again is is in that sort of profile. but more and more especially within the premier league at least those wide forwards aren't wingers. You get your width from your fullbacks. So Chelsea have got Chilwell and James. Liverpool have got Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. Man City have done it in various creative ways over the years. Tottenham have got um, Reguillon. They've, they've had Ben Davies do it. They've had Aurier do it now. So the, the progression of wingers from academy football... Doesn't necessarily translate into what football looks like at the top level in 2020. Chelsea in the academy tend to prefer a 3 4 3 formation, whatever the distribution of players ahead of the four, they play with wing backs. And those wing backs are nominally attacking players in academy football for a team like Chelsea because you've got a talent advantage over most opponents, you play with an overload, you play with five attackers. That's not to say that they can't defend because Reese James has been a wing back in the Academy. Tarek Lamptey has been a wing back in the academy. Tino Livramento has been a wing back in the academy. Dujon Sterling, Jada Silva, Ian Martson. we can go on and on and on. What they look like at the higher level is then down to an interpretation from where they settle and what you need from the team. Reese is absolutely fine as a right back. And probably not the sort of player you'd progress to be a winger. Dujan Sterling might have a future as a winger despite playing fullback at Wigan and Coventry on loan. Juan Castillo has played fullback for Ajax on loan, but he's now on loan at RZ in Holland and they might look at him as a winger. Tarek Lamptey plays as a wingback at Brighton. But if you were to say does Tarek Lamptey translate into a winger, does is he less of a player or less of a threat? just because you move him up the pitch he operates better in space with space ahead of him and to attack from deep and these are all sort of questions that go beyond why don't Chelsea produce wingers because you're looking at the player's skill set and what they can become regardless of what they are in academy football at the time the development squad sort of changed from that 3-4-3 to they 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 tend to use a 4-2-3-1 with wide players but even within those wide players they're not wingers marcel Lewis isn't an out and out winger miles per harris isn't an out and out winger livermento plays up on the right with henry lawrence behind him at times but livermento isn't necessarily a winger but if you plug livermento into this chelsea team on the right you'd call him a winger and it is it comes it's really just semantics to me because each individual player has a skill set that you appraise and you figure out, right, what can I do with it? It's it's a bit more marked question right now for Chelsea because a lot of the wide options like Pulisic, like Hudson-Odoi, like Ziyech, they're all injured. When those players are injured, people want the academy boys to step in, which is a brilliant mark of progress for the mentality around the club that people are now saying, okay, we've got the talent and there is a pathway. Can they come through? But it's not just about saying, right, we've got a pipeline of players in all of these positions
0: to come through. Got it. So yeah, I mean it's it's a flexibility thing, right? I exactly, mean, yeah. They're they're playing in wide spaces, which I, I understand that for sure. You know, and and I think to your point is they're getting a schooling in defensive duties, and they're also at the same time getting a schooling in attacking duties. And and they're very much like sitting in the middle saying, All right, hey, we set you up to take one of two, maybe three paths. It's up to you and the opportunity in front of you to take said path, because not everyone will have a Brighton that they can go play wing back. Derek yeah, Clancy, precisely. That's a great opportunity, and I think
3: it played into his decision to go there because he'll have gone there knowing that Graham Potter has the. Uh, willingness to play uh, a 3-4-3 three, three or a wing-back system that he can slot seamlessly into rather than if you go to a back four as terry Lamptey, can you play as a fullback? We, we know he has done on occasion, but you have less support that way. You, you'll be targeted from long goal kicks. You have less space to operate in because you've got a winger directly ahead of you or a right-sided centre mid ahead of you, whereas you play him in space out on the right and give him that whole responsibility to attack and defend knowing that you've got a centre-back behind you. It's like what he did in the academy when Rhys James would play right-sided centre-half. You've got that safety valve behind you to go off and attack and and do what you do best. And... That, that pathway into not just Chelsea, but into other teams is sort of why what Chelsea really look at with their players. It's not about mirroring the first team's formation. I think that's a fool's errand that clubs are drawn into as, some, uh, as a bogus sort of, we have an ethos, we have a holistic way of operating here. The manager's formation makes its way down through the academy because by the time those 14, 15, 16 year olds are in a position to play for the first team, that manager's been sacked. The number of clubs where a manager is around long enough to take advantage of players coming through from the academy is so small that an approach like Chelsea's where you have a formation that allows for positional rotation. So you play the 3, uh, three you have got the wingbacks who, who play as wingers and as fullbacks. You've got the central midfielders who can play as a two or a three, depending on what you do with the third centre-half. You've got three centre-halves, but then somebody drops in and that wide centre-half has to become a fullback. The two attackers behind the centre-forward, they play wide, they play narrow. One of them drops into central midfield. It's all a part of an education that develops players into people who can go into another professional setup because as much as we'd like every single one of them to make play for Chelsea, the numbers game just doesn't work. So these guys are going to have high-level careers elsewhere. We're seeing it in the Premier League already. We've got Declan Rice excelling as either a centre-half or a midfielder. You've got Eddie Nketiah at Arsenal. You've got players doing the rounds all throughout the leagues finding a way because of the education they've had down at Cobham.
0: All right. Well, at Seb C, friend and, and guest on the pod, says, where is Pierre Equa in his evolution as a first-team player? Um, He's just trying to figure out, in his development, where, where does he stand in terms of succeeding as a professional footballer? He
3: was injured for quite a lot of the last year and has only really started to come back over the last four to six weeks or so. And that absence not just took time out of his career, but it took time out of his second year in the under-18s, which is when some of the players who are on a longer development curve start to figure themselves out. He can't drop back into youth team football now because he's too old, so he has to accelerate the progress while stepping up to a more challenging level, which is doubly hard. And he's another... We signed him as a defensive midfielder. He spent more of his time as sort of a centre-half for the under-18s, and now he's playing again in central midfield for the 18s. He is a left-footed midfielder, defensive midfielder type, which obviously gives him a few more advantages in terms of opportunities to play, because Chelsea like that balance in midfield. Obviously, Lewis Bates ahead of him at the minute as the left-footed creative orchestrator in the under-18s, but you can play Ekwa and Bates alongside each other in the development squad, sorry, because Bates has that ability to play... on his offside, so playing on the right of the two, and just cover so much ground, knowing that you've got someone like Equa behind him to sort of protect. I think he'll be a little bit slower coming along now because of the injury, and maybe there's not so much opportunity for him to play this season. If somebody goes on loan, then he'll get a few more minutes in the second half of the season. But then sort of, if we look at him this time next year as having played a lot more football, then you can start to have a sense of where he may end up on loan. I think he's got some growing still to do. He's not short. He's not small by any means. His brother's a professional rugby player, so you can see the sort of frame that he has the potential to grow into as an authoritative holding midfielder. But, yeah, he, he, you can see the technical quality in his game, his willingness to play one touch passes and to build and to progress and to cover ground across the, uh, the width of the pitch in particular. He just hasn't had enough football because of injury.
2: All right, I, I will transition to, uh, to the center back position because I think there, you know, of, of, all the, of all the positions kind of coming through at Chelsea right now, there's just a thrilling kind of line of succession that could happen here. Uh, so we got a question from Better Than Nothing, uh, whose, whose actual name is Dan. Uh, saying Simu or whoever is now the top center back in the academy versus Malang Sarr versus Mark Gurhi, who has the best chance of making our first team? And and a secondary question, Phil, would be um, talking about you know maybe some of these you know all star signings that have come in perhaps blocking progress. Um, and and he lists uh, James Fletcher lists. Ah, uh, Mark Gurhi and and against rumored center back to be named later, who who could potentially come in. So, two part question, but let's start with, ah, uh, you know, the Simu versus Sar versus Gerhe versus whoever has the the best chance of making it next. Yeah, I'll throw in Levi Colwill because Seb asked about him as well. Mm. Um,
3: it's it's quite interesting because Sar and, uh, and Colwill are left sided center half left footed Mm-hmm. Uh, Gurhi isn't left footed can play on the left uh, Simiou has some experience on the left but tends to play on the right and two of them Simio and Cole will play alongside each other I mean you have to consider that Gurhi's ahead of them because he's been out on loan and you have to consider that Saar again is ahead of those because he's had multiple professional seasons in France and is now playing in the Champions League for Porto Saar was a bit of a signing to nothing he was a free agent on low wages if it doesn't work out then you're not going to really lose much on him if it does work out at worst you've got a saleable asset at best you've got a player who can come in and play at a high level and I don't really know what Chelsea envisage for him other than let him develop slow burn absolutely no rush because they've got plenty of options in-house already Gerhi is certainly making a case to return for next season but as we mentioned a bit earlier it depends on what happens with Tomori, Christensen, Rüdiger and Silva and it's not that you're looking at Gerhi to replace Silver. The profile to replace Silver has to be an elite centre-half brought in from somewhere else. We've seen the difference he makes. And this was a point very well made on Twitter a couple of weeks ago by my friend Kieran Doyle, who basically looks at Gerhi as coming in to be the academy centre-half developed, the homegrown one that doesn't take up a foreign spot, whether that's at the expense of Tomori or Christensen. You replace Silver with an elite centre-half and the other two spots are taken by whoever the two best are around, whether that's Rüdiger, whether that's Zuma, whoever. That could be Tomori, that could be Gerhie. It could be both of them, depending on what happens with fit for the rest of this year and what Gerhie's next move is. Gerhie plays in a, a back three at Swansea. You'd ideally like to find him a high-level loan where he plays as part of a two because it seems that as much as Frank's experimented with three at the back at Chelsea, he wants to play with the back four, has rarely deviated from that this season. And playing in a back three is to an extent easier than playing in a back four. So you find Gerhi alone that maximizes his opportunity at doing that. You do the same with Tamori and you revisit the situation in 12 to 18 months and work out where they are. It's Those 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 guys are closer to the first team than Simeo and Colwell are. They're older. It makes sense. You get Simeo and Colwell out on loans in the next 18 months as well and hope that You've got an abundance of riches to work out what your plans are at centre half
2: two years from now. That's future Chelsea's problem, right? <laughs> right, Nick. That's what you say. I'll always, yeah. If I am thinking about a, a a thing that could happen in the next six months, Phil, that is that's future next uh, worry uh, to consider. So, uh, but but it does sound like, in in terms of your assessment anyway, that you do have three four players who could you know if, if you know, breaks happen their way and that they have really good loans could end up somewhere near the first team at Chelsea. Yeah, for sure. And
3: it sort of leads into the the second question there about whether signings of so-called elite players from elsewhere will block the pathway of the the most talented Academy players. And I don't see it blocking the the pathways because we, we, we've seen that it's, it's demonstrated, demonstrable that Lampard and Morris and Edwards and everybody else want to play these academy players in the first team where they deserve to and as long as they're good enough and we know that they're good enough they're going to be able to compete. This particular question used the example of Gallagher and Kai Havertz or Billy Gilmore and Declan Rice and I don't think they're particularly the best examples to have. If Gallagher's going to come into the squad next year it's going to be to compete four minutes with someone like Kovacic in the box-to-box, box, 8 role. If Declan Rice is coming in, it's going to be as Kante's long-term successor, possibly in some sort of centre-half role to start with. But Kante, mm. we know Kante's had injury issues. We know he's, he's not exactly the youngest anymore. He's probably got plenty of time ahead of him. But if you can have both of them at the same time and then transition easily, great. Gilmore, as we discussed earlier, is sort of more in, compar- in competition with Jorginho, who was a very expensive signing, a so-called elite signing, that Billy has proven himself to be, if not on a par with, then certainly not far behind at this point. Whether Gallagher can do the same with Kovacic, we don't know. Whether Mount can continue to play to a high level, we know that Havertz has the capacity to. Just because Mason Mount wasn't signed for 70-plus million doesn't mean that Mason Mount isn't every bit as good as somebody like Kai Havertz. And as long as the academy players have the opportunity to challenge for playing time with these players that are brought in, then I have no doubt that they will continue to prove their worth to the squad. If they don't, we've seen that someone like Andreas Christensen has a role, but fine, Kurt Zuma's has outperformed him. This is the way that football works. All that the academy has ever asked for is a fair opportunity for players who are deserving. Mm -hmm. from there it's up to them to go and make sure that they stay in the team
1: i think the the change though phil right is it's just a recalibration because we did have this massive boon you know albeit it was a transfer ban issue where multiple first teamers were uh, were promoted from the academy into the team at one side and so i think it's just a recalibration of You know, there will be more of a trickle potentially over the next few seasons because, you know, you've had Academy players who have established themselves as first teamers. You have made some massive signings. And so it's not going to be six or seven that integrate in on maybe a yearly basis moving forward. But maybe if one, you know, establishes himself and is in contention every season as a new like, is this person going to challenge for starting minutes that right there is proof positive that the academy model is continuing to fire on all cylinders.
3: Absolutely. And similarly, if three or four come along at once and challenge, so you could have a, a, a scenario this coming summer where you have Gallagher, Gerhi, Livramento, and Armando Brosia. Let's use those four. All come back in and the stars align that they've got Squad place is Giroud going to be around beyond this summer? Does Armando Broja have the opportunity to take that place in the squad? Gilmore versus Kovacic, Gerhi versus whichever centre half you prefer to have him up against, and Livramento as an option down the right. If Aspillaquez, I'm not saying if is going to move on, but let's just throw him into the conversation. If they all prove themselves good enough, then yeah, there's plenty of room for those three, four players to come into the squad because they've met the standards. We know that the the opportunities are there to be able to do that, and I don't think it's necessarily likely that you're going to have three or four to come in at once, but the quality coming through is so high that you can have two, three, four players all knock on the door at the same time and prove that they are good enough.
1: Kind of Talking about those improvements, we did get a question from Pedro as well who asked, if you had to point out one player who had the biggest growth this season, and maybe we'll just say, Within 2020, because you know it's just been a jumble of seasons together. Uh, who would that it be compared to their last season? So from 2019 maybe to 2020, is there a player you know not you know kind of who's now featuring in our first team, but maybe someone who's still kind of kicking around the academy or has gone on loan?
3: The this season, I think you can split it into loanies and then the development squad in the under 18s. I think someone like Armando Broger is still continuing to trend upwards he's missed the last couple of uh, Vitesse matches because he tested positive for COVID but before that he was playing as a starting striker every week for a team in the top two top three of the Eredivisie this time last year he had barely played for the development squad and was in the same sort of position that Sunsat Bell is in and scoring plentifully for the under 18s and except that he was a good year older the fact that he's gone into professional football and not skipped a beat and continued to trend upwards is is positive for me. And it, it, when we can say the biggest growth, it doesn't mean that he wasn't good in the first place. And that's the same sort of thing that I'm looking at when I'm talking about Liveramento and Miles Per-Harris as the players who've had the biggest growth for the development squad. Because neither of them were particular regulars for the team last season. Miles wasn't playing at that level at all. Tino had played here and there. But they've come in and they've been... Part of the driving force that have put the team top at Christmas. Miles has got six goals. He's the top scorer. He's got three or four assists. livermento has got seven assists, and everything good seems to go through them when they're playing at the height of their powers. And in Pert Harris's case, it's been really quite positive to see that he's assumed responsibility and been able to play. For, for 90 minutes rather than sort of coast and drift through things where you might find it too easy as an under-16 or an under-17 and the challenge isn't there. When you've moved up that level because he turned 18 in September, he's still eligible for youth team football. You push him up to that high level and you say, right, look, this is the level you're now playing at. You need to meet the expectations. And he's done that tremendously. And sort of the under-18s is always a little bit harder to, to sort of point out players who've had the biggest growth because... You're looking at somebody who played for the youth team last season and hasn't moved on already. And so I'm drawn to Josh Brooking, who we signed from Reading as an under-16. He played for England under-16 level as well. And he didn't really play as much last season as he might have liked because, again, there's a lot of competition on the right. Liv Rimento was ahead of him. Dion Rankin was ahead of him. But he's been more regular this year. He's played some right-center half. He's played right-wing back. And started to show the sort of pedigree that, made Chelsea sign him in the first place and why England gave him international caps at a young age he's got the aggression he's got the quality on the ball he's got the versatility and while you won't necessarily see him move up into the development squad quite so soon just because of the logjam ahead of him he's another one to look out for in the seemingly endless production line of right backs
0: funny just how like certain positions kind of stack up a little bit you know I suppose mm-hmm. you know there's way more right-footed players than left, you know, just statistically. So that's probably easier to chuck up. The, but, uh, you know. Yeah, and there's, there's the narrative as well. Chelsea have found it hard over
3: the years with the left-sided players. They brought Jay De Silva in from Lutz and they signed Ian Martz and they signed Juan Castillo. And the best homegrown one they had was Samuel Ling Jr., who upped and left for Juventus last summer. If he'd have hung around, he'd be playing development squad football right now. He might have been doing the same sort of thing as Livramento again a year younger because he was really ahead of schedule. He'd been playing up the age groups every year since sort of under 12, under 13 and was a really, really highly touted prospect. That A lot of people were disappointed uh, that Chelsea lost. But it's not like Chelsea don't produce the left-backs, but like you say, there are more right-footed players and a right-footed team. And with Chelsea looking for particular attributes in players you end up with a lot of players who can play on the right. Chelsea put a big uh, a big thing on athleticism. They want you to be able to play football because if you're an athlete who can't play football, then they'll sort of direct you into athletics. Someone like Adam Jamili, who's now a, a Olympic-level sprinter for Great Britain, played in Chelsea's academy 15 years ago. But they won't really take you if you can play, but you haven't got any real athleticism about you either because, like it or not, when you play at the highest levels, you have to be able to handle yourself physically. Yeah. And so every attribute that Chelsea tries to knit into the players that they bring in inevitably lead to an abundance of players who can play wide right.
0: All right. Uh, let's keep this one short. But we did get a question from Freebird on Twitter. And I know Yan actually WhatsApped us, and I'm pretty sure we didn't respond. So here you go, Yan. Uh, Charlie Musanda, obviously back at Cobham, looks jacked according to social media um anyway just kind of what's his status is he eligible for loan is he like a mark van an hinkle where he's gonna be on the roster because he's around what's up with musanda Yep, yeah, he's back at copperman training but as he's pointed out
3: numerous times he's barely played a professional match in three years now so you take it very slowly with him i don't think he'll get minutes with the first team because you now have to register him he's not under 21 anymore I think the most likely course of action is that you keep him at the club where you can keep a close eye on his rehab. You give him minutes in the development squad and you bring him along very slowly until May, at which point you then work out whether he goes on loan, whether he departs permanently. I don't think, given the riches that Chelsea now have in attacking midfield areas, that you can throw Missunder in um, and expect him to be the prospect he once was. Um that's not to say that he can't become a top prospect eventually. I just think that the path he now has to take because he's been out for so long will be via somewhere else. But for the second half of the season, I think you'll see him play some development squad minutes. And they'll be they'll be planning for that because they'll be looking at players who might be going on loan in January. So if Tino Andurin goes on loan, there'll definitely be interest in him. It's another question altogether as to whether he goes. But he goes and then there's a spot in attacking midfield for someone like Musonda to come in and play a little bit.
2: Uh, another quick one uh, around uh, Xavier Simons uh, from from John. Any any thoughts or quick updates on Xavier? Yeah, he had knee surgery about a month ago,
3: and I think he's going to be out for the rest of the season, or if not, then most of it, uh, which is really disappointing. Because in his first year as a scholar, along with uh, along with Lewis Bate, they had a really good partnership going in midfield. He was playing for the development squad at sixteen and has that sort of aggression and box to box drive that you really like to see in a in a in a midfielder so very disappointing to see him out because he's a quality player and hopefully he'll be back stronger than ever when he is fit at some point in 2021
1: so another quick question would be around, uh, we got this from Orlando, around the UEFA Youth League expectations. So a few words won't be expected for this year's UEFA Youth League campaign. campaign would be great. So Phil, do you have a few words about what the expectation should be for Chelsea in this competition?
3: It's going to be wild. It's going to start in March. It's going to be a single-legged, unseeded knockout tournament. So the 32 th-
0: savage. Oh my God!
3: Overall, oh the 32 God. teams that were in the Champions League group stage this season are in one half of the draw. So that'll be Chelsea. That'll be um, whoever Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, Leipzig, Bayern Munich, everybody. And then the 32 domestic champions from countries who didn't end up in the Champions League 32, they play. two halves of the draw unseeded so Chelsea could draw Barcelona Chelsea could draw Real Madrid or Chelsea could draw uh, a much smaller team home or away and they do that all the way through to the typical finals weekend that's held in neon in Switzerland it's a free-for-all um so you won't see the the group stage that Chelsea have had in previous years obviously we were knocked out of the group stage last year um for the first time but previously they would be quite prolific um against some smaller teams who were mismatched this year they could get the same but it's unlikely to be that and it's just going to be a really really unpredictable ride that could play into the hands of some of the so-called smaller academies who have plenty of talent someone like uh, Red Bull Salzburg won this whole competition a few years ago from the group stage and depending on the draw, you could see them do it again. You could easily see the typical powerhouses: Barcelona, Real Madrid, Porto, Benfica, Ajax, Chelsea. They should all be in, but you could easily have a Chelsea versus Benfica first, Chelsea versus um, Ajax first round. It's going to be it's going to be wild, and it also will be informed by what the squad availability is at the time. If the development squad have got fixtures, if the youth cups on, if the first team need to call upon some of them. Uh, it's going to be the most unpredictable campaign ever.
2: Can you quickly touch on the the composition of that UEFA U squad because it's it's a different it's a whole different competition. yeah it's obviously. it's an
3: under nineteen competition with five overages allowed in the forty man squad and three in any.
0: So, Petter will be in squad.
3: good. No, but the okay. overage can only be under twenty.
0: <laughs> oh,
3: damn! <laughs> so, pretty everyone in the development squad, with the exception of your drink waters and your Baba Ramans, are able to play. And again, anyone who goes on loan, so someone like Henry Lawrence may go on loan in January. I don't think they'll necessarily use the UEFA Youth League as a reason to keep him around. They may have done in previous years where he played through the group stage and had been part of a settled team. But since this
0: team is only going to take shape in March, you you work with what you've got at that point. Noted. Um, and if we've learned anything from Dan's perspective on knockout competitions, bring on the hardest teams all the way through. Don't want to cakewalk. Yep, I, I'm Daniels generally of the same sentiment. If
3: you're going to win it, you're going to have to play a good
0: team eventually. But you don't and want to have to play a lot of good teams.
3: Absolutely. But there's something to also be said for being conditioned to be on your game early on. You don't want to become complacent and just sort of drift through it. And then you're suddenly up against one of the contenders and you haven't played to that standard yet. Now, Chelsea usually set the standard in these sort of competitions. So I'm not particularly worried about that. But... Part of the charm of the, something like the UEFA Youth League is that exposure to playing against high-level teams from other countries. and It's always really interesting when you see Chelsea come up against an Ajax or a Barcelona and, and they handle their business there because it's, it's affirmation that what Chelsea are doing is as good as everybody else out there.
0: All right. Well, very quickly before Dan has any time to interject and say anything whatsoever, <laughs> the last question here, Phil... Um, a little bit of U.S. love, and by U.S., I mean the United States here. So, MM7 on Discord and Techie, both asking the same type of question. There's been an emergence of American talent sprinkled through Europe. Um, does that mean Chelsea is going to be a lot more interested in setting up maybe some much more kind of official structured scouting in the United States? Techie even asked it would they be interested in doing an academy in the United States? And um, I actually worked with Chelsea a little bit on a project and we talked about what a potential looked like, but it doesn't, Am I right in thinking you feel that they're not really interested in kind of like setting up all these academies around the world to to farm talent? That's not really their Yeah, purpose. it's
3: it's not what they do. This yeah. the, the the coaching and the sort of the presence elsewhere around the world is handled by the Chelsea Foundation, which is an arm of the academy but independent enough in its own right that they do their own thing. So they have a presence in the United States as you're aware they do coaching clinics and small smaller things throughout the country. They have a more permanent presence throughout Asia especially in Singapore and in Thailand. And it's as much about spreading the Chelsea brand as it is about identifying talent because if nothing else, FIFA rules prohibit you signing minors from abroad. Um, and even from January to 1st, they won't be able to do it from within Europe anymore. So the likes of Ian Martz and Juan Castillo and Andreas Christensen from previous years wouldn't be able to make that move as 16-year-olds because the UK will no longer be in the EU or the EEA. With somebody from the US, you couldn't sign them until they were 18 anyway unless they were dual national like Ethan Wadey so you can establish a presence in these areas to build your brand and to increase awareness of chelsea football club but the sort of the cost versus the cost benefit analysis of whether you need to do that in being able to bring a player to the club probably doesn't work out for them to be able to to invest in a full time permanent setup and then if you're doing the united states you you you'd want to have multiple locations so that you can have a presence in the northeast or on the west coast or somewhere else and i wouldn't say no because they've shown a willingness to become involved more and more in these areas over the year but i don't think it's necessarily a priority of theirs to to go big right now especially at a time when english football is becoming more insular because of rules outside of their control
0: yeah i think it seems like the play especially if we're specifically talking about america is to pick them up as they've gotten to Europe already, you know, or let them get to 18 until they can sign them cuz otherwise you're investing resources in America where it's a very long shot that you pick anyone up out of it. I mean, is that is that obviously the the thinking from what I gather from what you said, Phil? Yeah,
3: it is and it's it's sort of these things become bigger because of trailblazers much earlier. So, you're Matanioska. seeing a lot of yeah, a little bit, but you look at <laughs> you look at Germany and you look at the youngsters who've come through in Germany. So you've got Gio Reyna, and you've had a, a lineage of American players going to the Bundesliga to back to Landon Donovan and before him. And because of the lights of Donovan, it it puts the Bundesliga in the the, the minds of Americans and the, the the option for a young player going over there. So Josh Sargent going to uh, Bremen at seventeen or whatever it was, stuff like that. It's the visibility from youngsters in US soccer to say, right, the Bundesliga is my target. And until that sort of happens in, in England, and it can't happen in England as easily as it can happen in Germany for, for different reasons and under transfer rules, uh, you, you, you won't see that sort of progression from English clubs. They won't invest in it because there isn't a trailblazer to draw that attention. It's it happens all around the world. There's a there's a, a transfer trend of uh, Brazilians going to the Ukraine because of the success that the players have had at Shakhtar Donetsk, and these transfer trends sort of inform what clubs do. And it'd be nice to see uh, a, a pipeline of Americans coming into England early, but the rules don't allow it, so you won't see it happen. And it obviously there's a great untapped resource of 350 million people. You like you you know that there's talent there that you can sort of bring in early but there's blockages in the way
0: well it's very complicated here and i could do an entire episode with you phil on this i feel like but just for our listeners so they know development of men's soccer players in america is very fragmented and it is very politicized um There's development fees. Uh, If you go into an MLS Academy, since they're franchises, they have a radius that they essentially have the first right of refusal to a player, even if they didn't develop them. And, And then if they do sign a contract with an MLS franchise, it's actually a contract with the MLS. And so if you want to go from MLS to another league, it is complicated on so many levels, uh, you know, to the point where his boyhood club is now suing the MLS because they didn't get a development fee for it. It is the rights when it comes to these players is an absolute mess. And it's something that if I could help fix before I die, I would die a happy man because um, it is it is unbelievably difficult for some of our best players to get out of this country. And it's all because of the way we've structured our professional game here. But we're learning. We're figuring out. We make it as hard as humanly possible. Yes. Yeah, pretty pretty much. So Don Garber's got his his grubby fingers involved in all of it, obviously. So anyways, Phil, anything we missed? Holiday season, Chelsea youth. I mean, what do we miss? Is this the time of year where like the first team would go and play like 40 on one with the U8s that we can't do anymore? Yeah, unfortunately, I think those... Uh, celebratory gatherings are completely
3: off the table. I know the first team aren't having their traditional Christmas lunches and Christmas parties within the their, their, the first team environment. So, yep, not for this year, but there's always the future to look forward to. The development squad are top of the league. The under-18s are um, another Youth Cup run. They were drawn in the fourth round against Cambridge United or AFC Fylde. So, they would be heavy favourites for that one, reg- uh, depending on who ends up winning that third round tie, which is going to be played in mid January. You've got the UEFA youth league to come. You've got plenty of good young players making their ways through the 18s, the 20s reason on loan
0: and plenty of good Academy graduates in the first team. And Phil's just high on Chelsea youth. He's there's, there's no wavering up and up.
2: Uh, that's right. No uh, Phil, we, we have to, because this is going out before Christmas, we have to have a holiday theme question in, in there. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday cocktail and or meal that that is coming up that you're really excited about cuz I think we're we're getting in the mood of of what could what could come next week. I'm a, a, a traditionalist when it comes to Christmas meals so the turkey
3: and all the trimmings and a homemade christmas pudding that that sorts me out. I right. can't christmas with
0: pudding. Yeah. Maybe something I will have to look into, huh. Big yep. eggnog guy, is that your go to? Do they Never have tried it over there? Nah, never tried it. Know. It's not. It's not really
3: a thing here. I, I looked into yeah. recipe like a few times and just. What's like a many.
0: good Christmas beverage over there? Or a holiday. I apologize. Holiday beverage over there.
3: Oh, well, it could be. I'm not a big drinker, so you're no, asking no, the wrong yeah, person, really. General, yeah, but you know. sort of. I think people get into their brandies and their sherries and their whiskies and sort of warm, comforting spirits. Mm. But also uh, this More year. This year aside, yeah, mold wine as well. This year aside, uh, usually it's it's time for gathering, and so people will just have their their favorite beers, their favorite lagers, their favorite ales, whatever. It's in, in a time of celebration with friends. So you might have something a bit more uh, mature with your with your with your family, uh, a nice whiskey. But if you're socializing, then drink
0: whatever is your your flavor. Awesome. Well, hey, enjoy it uh, safely. Hope you can. Um... Find some joy and some cheer and some, some, some family time as best we can. Thankfully, technology is at our fingertips. Um, but, Phil, as always, thank you, sir. It is so enlightening to talk to you. You're an encyclopedia of Chelsea youth. It is amazing.
3: Yeah, thanks to you three. Wishing you happy holidays and happy holidays. And to everybody else out there, it's gonna, it's not the easiest time of year. So stay strong speak out if you need to speak to somebody too there's always a an ear Mm -hmm. on social media everybody's here to to help out with each other and here's to
0: a much better 2021 Fantastic! signal it's such a such a great call so all right uh well that's gonna wrap us up as always so go follow at chelsea youth if you're not um endless endless value that you get out of that so anyways enjoy the holidays everybody enjoy the content i have no idea when this is going out so i'm not gonna plug anything else like last time so hey enjoy all the content. We'll be with you through it all. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.